Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. Uh, this is Dr. Dan, of course, and we're back with Christian Despina, uh, the founder and CEO of the Dr. Joseph Warren Foundation, www.djwf.org and the author of an incredible book, Founding Martyr, The Life and Death of Dr. Joseph Warren, The American Revolution's Lost Hero. We've discussed why he is the lost hero and, and of course, the importance, but I think it's also to important to take a look at what goes on, what goes on in the lives of his family after his untimely death in the Battle of Bunker Hill. So let's pick up there, uh, Christian. Uh, he's killed at a young age, 34, was it, or yes. thereabouts, and uh, four children and a wife. And they come upon hard times. Well, his wife, is, his wife dies in 1773, and a year later, he becomes engaged to a woman named Mercy Scully. And Mercy Scully takes those four children and goes to Worcester, Mass., because things are getting so volatile in Boston. So when Warren is killed at the Battle of Bunker Hill in June of 75, his four children become orphans. Really, um, it's really heartbreaking because their education suffers, they're suffering financially. Mercy Scully goes to bat and is writing letters to Samuel Adams, John Hancock, asking for help because the children need clothes, they need to be in school. And really, uh, you know, several people come to bat for them, uh, including the Continental Congress. And and the shame is, though, that both his sons die in their early 20s. They're never married. They don't have children. Uh, Joseph Warren's daughter dies um, in, I believe it's in the early 1800s. None of her children survive. And his youngest daughter, Mary, she gets married a second time because her first husband dies. And really, the current direct descendants of Dr. Joseph Warren all owe this lineage to one surviving son that Joseph Warren's youngest daughter, Mary, had with a gentleman named Judge Richard English Newcomb. And really, the line descends from there. But it's just such a tragic story when he dies, how the children are left destitute. They don't, you know, there's a there's a battle over who's going to take custody. But again, people do pull together the some of the founders for all this help and um, Benedict Arnold donates 3,000 pounds of his own money to help care for the children and I came across this letter and it's a five-page letter that Mercy Scully writes to Benedict Arnold literally six weeks before his treasons uncovered thanking him for the 3,000 pounds that he donated out of pocket to help 
Joseph Warren's four children. And, and when we say children, we mean children. Their, age, their ages range between two and 10 years old when Warren's killed in battle. And, and just to show you how inconceivable it was for, for a long well, days after they're thinking, wait a minute, you know, Warren wouldn't have gone to the battle. It was too dangerous. And then there's all these rumors flying around. Was he captured? Was he taken prisoner? Was he killed? I mean, the, the news that he is killed doesn't reach them for a little while. And then it's just devastating. It's devastating to Warren's mother, his fiance, his children. And, 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 it's, and, and really, that's why some of some of the stories about Warren in the past 10, 20 years, a lot of them have been fictionalized. You don't need to fictionalize these stories. There's so much drama and intrigue that and, and, and heartbreak. Really, the story is, is tragic and heartbreaking when you when you really look at these primary source letters and documents and you see what happened to the children. It, it really is a tragic story. You know, it just points out, uh, Christian, that life in that era was very, very difficult. I mean, life expectancy was very, very short. Uh, there were many different ways that people could pass early in life. Uh, and that's really what you're seeing here, especially with the children. I mean, do you know what they passed from? Were they sick or was it accidental? Or I know the one son had gotten sick and he went to live with Warren's brother, Ebenezer, out in Foxborough, Massachusetts, and he passed away there. Um, the, 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 the shame is, is there's just not a lot of primary source documents uh, when it comes to the children. We know that. Um, there's a letter that Samuel Adams writes, and he's talking about Warren's eldest daughter, saying that, you know, there's she's in all the finest establishments, that she's learning all the things a young woman should learn at that time. And it's, it, it, it was nice to see that there is a collective effort put together to help raise those children. And, and a lot of people stepped up to the plate. And uh, it's just tragic, though, when you when you see how their lives sort of were without without their father, without their mother, and they were living in different places for years. Some were with Warren's fiance, some were with his mother. It's nice to see that they eventually did come together because they, it, it was acrimonious at first as, as to who should take care of the children. The fiance told Warren's brother that Warren wanted her to take care of the children if something happened to him. Warren's brother, John, says, I was never told that by my brother. And so... John Warren does take the children in. It, it is John Warren who inherits a lot of the uh, items that, that Warren left behind, the paintings of, of him and Elizabeth and some of the medical things. But uh, again, you know, part of the problem as to why we don't know so much about Warren is because there's these two house fires that occur in the mid-19th century that basically lose most of Warren's remaining possessions. And so, again, you have all these factors as to why we don't know more about this man. I mean, that's why we don't hear so much about him, because, again, this his martyrdom really does overshadow these 10 years of resistance activities. And there's not a big paper trail. Well, there wouldn't be, as we talked before, that he was a spy. Uh, as is using his medical office as a spy. And I guess that's a pretty good place to have uh, a spy ring because people are coming in to get treatment and they're going out all over the place. So it was probably pretty efficient to do that. But the other side is you can't keep records. And I'm sure the British at that in that era, they were extremely oppressive. They could There was no uh, Bill of Rights that kept them out of your homes and things like that. So they could come in and look around and do whatever they wanted. 
Um, so there were house fires, and, and that was another problem back then. Everything was made of wood, and you, you know. So, um, so what you're looking at is is a man who was a, a really incredible part of the revolution. Who, because of his untimely early death, uh, his true uh, the true history of what he did has been ignored or forgotten. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, there's like you pointed out, there's there's multiple reasons for that. You know starting with the fact that he destroyed a lot of his own correspondence to keep himself safe. Because like you said, you never knew if someone was going to come in and demand to search your place and see if you had papers or again, this was treason. You know, we, we think about that favorite, say famous quote by Benjamin Franklin. If we don't hang together, we will most assuredly hang separately. So this, this is, this is real stuff. I mean, this was not, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. This would, you know, at any moment, these men could have been arrested. Let's go back to what do we know about what he truly believed? We have his actions, but does, does he have any writings? Does he have, did he leave behind any evidence of what his philosophies were? Well, and, and, and again, it's, it's a limited paper trail, but we do have articles that he was writing in newspapers at, talking about these oppressive British policies. We have these two Boston massacre orations that he delivers, but probably the most important document is the are these Suffolk resolves. And basically, this was in response to the British passing the coercive acts as a result of the Boston Tea Party. So these acts take effect June 1st, 1774. They close the port of Boston. And really, so there's a county uh, convention where they meet in Suffolk. And basically, Warren is the main author of these Suffolk resolves. And what it is, is it's a declaration of rights and grievances. And, you know, there's a quote he makes, and it says, these coercive acts should be, quote, rejected as the attempts of a wicked administration to enslave America. And the incredible part about this document is that on one of his lesser famous rides, Dr. Joseph Warren dispatches Paul Revere from Boston to the Continental Congress in Philadelphia. Now, you have all these assembled delegates. They're from different parts of the country. You know, they, they, they have different beliefs, different ideologies. Some are feeling that Boston is, is the problem and that they would not be having these issues if it wasn't for the Tea Party. It's a very divisive atmosphere. And Revere shows up to the Continental Congress with the Suffolk resolves. And the miraculous thing is they adopt them unanimously. So that's why when people tell me, oh, well, the, the founders didn't know who Joseph Warren was. It's nonsense because every one of those founders at the Continental Congress knew who Joseph Warren was just because of those Suffolk resolves. And when you look at some of the language from those Suffolk resolves, you know, you can see where some of the parts of the Declaration of Independence came from. So I was just going to ask you, what was in the Suffolk Resolves? So what did again, he say? Yeah, it's a declaration of rights and grievances. And Warren's really calling for the colonists to prepare themselves to be armed because they, he, he is seeing the writing on the walls. And he's saying there is going to be an armed conflict. We need to prepare now. He talks about the warlike enterprises. He's talking about withholding all commercial dealings with Great Britain, economic boycotts, which they had been trying to implement and had implemented back in 1767. I mean, the language is fiery. He's he He's talking about things that really aren't on many people's lips at this point. I mean, we even have a quote from Warren back in 1768 
talking about independence. And, you know, again, this is this is not something that people were talking about. Now, he does profess loyalty to Great Britain in the Suffolk Resolves. But then you read this entire vitriolic diatribe talking about we have to prepare, we have to get arms together and ammunition because it's coming to a head. So he's you know, it's really amazing how he has his finger on the pulse. And I think it's because he really does become the on the ground leader. He's seeing what's happening. He's seeing where this road is headed. So what's interesting to me is here's this here's Dr. Warren uh, publicly, publicly making these statements, any one of which could have gotten him hung. How, how does that compute? I mean, there was a there was a. Uh, an incident where Warren is walking on uh, the neck, which is the little isthmus that connects Roxbury to Boston. And a British soldier turns to him and says, go on, Warren, you'll come to the gallows soon enough. So, I mean, Warren is being threatened in the streets. It's not like, so I think the big difference is, is that even though he is conducting these spy activities, He's not hiding. You know, everybody knows who Warren is. He's basically a really big thorn in the side to the British soldiers. I mean, when you hear some of the quotes that the top British leaders make once they find out Warren's been killed at Bunker Hill, you know, uh, William Howe says Warren's death is worth 500 of my best soldiers. Uh, Another quote from Peter Oliver said, had Warren lived, he would have become the Cromwell of North America. Uh, Thomas Hutchinson um, says, um, you know, had 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 Warren lived, he, you know, Washington's name would have been in obscurity. So so here's the top British leaders who know exactly who Warren is. And they're saying all these things about him. one one British uh, commander says um, Warren is the greatest incendiary in all America. So these people knew exactly what was going on. They knew that Warren was agitating. They knew that he was pushing the agenda and pushing it and pushing it. And he's in the public eye. When he delivers this uh, fiery massacre oration in 1775, British soldiers are there. And one of the soldiers said afterwards, had he said something negatively about King George, that we were going to run them through all of them. Warren, Adams, Hancock, and everyone in the in Old South Meeting House was going to be run through with swords. I mean, I mean, this was serious stuff. I mean, Warren was was really walking a delicate line here, knowing that at any moment he could have been arrested or killed in the street. So with your education in history, okay, and you fully understand that a knowledge of history is used pretty accurately in many in many instances to help predict the future or to guide people. So what can you speculate? And this is, of course, speculation. If you, you know what Dr. Warren did, you know about the times, what lessons can we learn from those times and Dr. Warren to apply to ourselves today? I think one of the things I admired about Warren was that he was able to connect with both sides. So here's someone who was able to walk that middle line for at least a while anyway, before he completely casts his lot with the Whigs. I I think the amazing thing about him, and we haven't touched upon this, was the fact that he becomes the grandmaster of ancient Scottish Rite Masons throughout North America. And, And a lot of the things that Warren did, when you realize he's doing a lot of charity work, when you look at his medical ledgers, he's doing a lot of his 
work with patients and he's not charging them because they can't afford it. So you'll see so many times on the other side of the entry that he canceled this person's fee due to his recent misfortune. Um, a lot of people don't talk about the sixth victim of the Boston massacre, Christopher Monk, because he dies a decade after he receives his wounds. Warren is treating him gratis. And, and I think that's an amazing thing that Warren is doing so many of these charitable acts. He's got the pulse. He's friends with both loyalists and patriots. And but yet he's still driving what he really believes in. And that's the twin notions of, of freedom and liberty. And look, you know, we have to look at this from a 21st century mindset. No, we can't. We have to really look at certain things from an 18th century mindset and realize we're looking at these events now with the benefit of hindsight. And we've come a long way and we still have a long way to go with certain things. But I mean, Warren is really doing some incredible things, even from a 21st century mindset. I mean, when he becomes a doctor, he's employing the most up-to-date medical techniques that he's learning from Dr. James Lloyd, who was his medical mentor. And again, Warren never sacrifices his beliefs. I mean, he really puts the needs of everyone else before himself. And it's really these these selfless, these selfless acts, the civic engagement he's involved in. In society, he's a, he's a productive member of the community. He believes firmly in, in, in freedom. And I just think that that someone like that, you can really look at him with admiration and, and, and wish we had more leaders like that today who are selfless, who are not who are not putting money above the country or who are doing things out of, out of selflessness. And re, he really I mean, he leads that charge. I mean, that's one of the amazing things about him is that he gives up all these lucrative financial appointments to, to join the cause of liberty, not to fill his pockets, not to line you know, the coffers, but he's he's doing what he firmly believes in and he's doing it and he's leading it by action, not just the words. That's why when I say this man does it all, voice, pen and sword, he's involved in everything behind the scenes, on the front lines. It, 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 it's, it's just an incredible, inspiring story. And, and it's and it's and it's it's and it's what happened. It's not fictitious. It's not made up. It's not exaggerated. I mean, these are the facts. Well, you know, it's I've always thought it pretty interesting that when you compare those times with our times, uh, there is one major difference. Uh, back in those in those days, uh, there was no communication. Uh, it was only direct communication. Uh, if you wanted to, if you were in Boston and you wanted to talk to someone in New York, you had to get on your horse and ride for three days. And when it came to Great Britain. They were seven to ten days sail each way. So anything that happened here, there was a, quite a delay. And that gives you some cover. And that's why someone like Dr. Joseph Warren and Samuel Adams and, and all those people, they had, they had a sort of a shield of a time delay in order to do the things they did. And we do not have that today. There is no time shield because everything is so absolutely instantaneous. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. 
But I think I've enjoyed, and I know my listeners are going to enjoy this. It was an incredible discussion. I think oh, I hope so. history is just great. And to learn something new about Dr. Joseph Warren, he is, uh, he is the founding martyr. Uh, I didn't appreciate until our discussion, but he, he definitely had an enormous role in the war, uh, our war of independence. Not only that, as a physician, as a family man, as a, as a student, uh, at Harvard, there were so many, so many lives that he touched in so many ways. And so Christian Despina, once again, CEO and founder of the Dr. Joseph Warren Foundation, www.djwf.org, and the author of an incredible book, Founding Martyr, The Life and Death of Dr. Joseph Warren, The American Revolution's Lost Hero. Christian Despina, thank you so much for being a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. I'm the one who needs to thank you. Thank you for giving us an outlet to help tell his story and to have a really, uh, for me anyway, an engaging and fascinating conversation. Anytime I could talk about Dr. Warren, I love it. So thank you. Thank you very much. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Yeah.